Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Well, we're in the middle of a conversation, like we said, called Disciple. In fact, this is our word, discipleship, for this year, 2022. It's a word that we don't often use in our vernacular and our vocabulary, but it literally means to follow, to be an apprentice, to be a student in that. See, in the same way that we are disciples of hobbies and of careers and of sports, we, we, we are apprentices, we are disciples, we are followers, we are students. Our souls were meant to be discipled. Our souls were meant to be disciples. We were meant to follow something, to engage in something, to learn from something, to apprentice something along the way. I mean, we, the, the reality is that you were made to both be influenced and then to be an influencer by what you're being influenced by. Have you ever noticed that the people that you hang out with a lot, you start to talk like them? Have you noticed that? And then you start to take on their mannerisms. And, and look, here's the thing. You're not, trying, you're not being fake, I promise you. There's actually neuroscience that says you actually start mirroring behavior and you start mirroring language around, from the people that you are around because we are meant to be imprinted upon and then we are meant to live that out. And this is what this discipleship process goes with. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we aware of what we are studying? Are we aware of who we are studying from? Are we aware of who and what we are essentially an apprentice of? Because here's the thing, if you do not choose who you are an apprentice of, one will choose you. And generally, it's a cruel master that chooses you. Because what I found in my 15 years of working with people is that people generally don't drift into healthy lifestyles. People generally don't just like go on automatic and find themselves like going, man, my life got more beautiful because I just drifted away into, into this space. That takes a lot of intention. And, and so if we are not clear about who we are following and what we are following, what they are teaching us and engaging in us, something will choose for you. And this is the beautiful thing. The, the proposition that Jesus brings us is he, is he says, come follow me, become a disciple, become an apprentice, and I will set you free. And he says, oh, look, of all the things and all of the people that you could be disciples of, I'm the one who's actually going to release your life into freedom and have you find the life that you were designed to live. Now, now here's the thing. In this conversation about discipleship, about following, there is a big difference between having the right knowledge and actually believing and following. There's, a, there's like a chasm between those two things. And here's the thing. Much of the movement of Christianity has been getting people to know the right things. And there's been an assumption that if people know the right things, then somehow that will make them a good person and they'll be okay with life. See, here, here's the thing is that we are so influenced by the enlightenment, this idea that if we just have the right knowledge running through our heads, if we're able to just spit out and parrot back the right information, that somehow that will make us the type of people that we are longing for, longing to become, that knowledge is the highest good. Now, here's the thing. You actually have to have knowledge in order to follow, but it is the doorway. It is not the end game. 
It is the path. It is not the destination in where we're headed. Because who cares what you know? The question is, are you actually engaging it? See, like, how many of you know you're supposed to go to the gym at least three times a week, right? Right? I mean, that's, that's clear. How many of you know you're supposed to eat healthy pretty much every meal, right? How many of you know you're supposed to save money? How many of you know, like, when you come in the door, you're supposed to drop everything and just be with your kids for the next two hours, right? We, we know a lot of things. Who cares if it doesn't actually transform how we live our lives, how we engage people, how we move with people? And there is a great danger in the movement of Jesus with conflating knowledge and discipleship with conflating knowing the right information and actually exhibiting a life where that information has transformed us. See, knowledge is important. It's impossible to accurately follow without having the right information, but it is worthless without movement. It is worthless without engaging it at a full level. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is there evidence in your life for what you believe? Or at least you say you believe. Is there data that actually says, I believe this and it is actually true in my life. It's actually showing up in a very tangible way. And that's a really difficult thing to, to see, isn't it? I mean, how do you actually know who and what you are following in life? That can be a really difficult question to answer in any moment in time. See, there's a difference between like someone asking you like, who's your piano teacher or who is your CEO, right? You can like point to a human being and say, that's, that's the person who I'm learning from. That's the person who leads me. That's the person who's my boss. That's the person who instructs me in this way, shape, or form. But it, it's a lot difficult to answer questions around where we are at spiritually and who we are following and who we are engaging in that moment. Where, where do you look to that? But like when someone asks you things like, hey, how's your marriage going? How do you answer that question? Where do you look to find the data to inform you of that question? When people ask you like, hey, how's your mental health? Where do you look to? I mean, you can guess and kind of say, well, I guess I'm okay and I guess I'm fine or I guess this is where I'm supposed to be. Or when people ask, how's your faith? It's like, I think I'm, I think I'm okay. In fact, when people ask me like really intent questions like they're like, how's your marriage going? I'm always like, why? Did Marla talk to you? Or like, is, is, are you, are you, do you see something, right? Because I get nervous because in, in those moments, it's hard to know. Like, where's the data? How do I actually look into this space? And here's the thing is that oftentimes without data, we skew towards self-flattery. We, we skew towards it's all good. And we usually skew towards what's better than it actually is. I love the show Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. It's, it's been canceled since then, but I love watching the reruns. I've watched all of them. And I love that he goes into these restaurants that are failing. I mean, they are completely failing. They're within months of shutting down. Gordon Ramsay is, of course, an expert chef. He goes in, and the first thing he does is he starts tasting the food. He orders things on the menu, and he's then inevitably the food's awful, and he starts talking to the chef. And he'll come to them and say, your, your food is awful. And inevitably, the chef, or the, the chef of, the, of the restaurant will come back to him and say, no, 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 people love this dish. No, you don't understand. People rave about this dish. I don't understand how, how you could say this. Now, here's the crazy thing. When you look at the data, no one has bought the dish. No one has returned. Their money is dropping. The restaurant's about to close down. So here over here, they're saying, no, 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 you don't understand. Everyone loves our food and they're going broke. No one's ordering their food. No one's coming back. Their Yelp reviews are at one star. And Gordon Ramsay, a five-star chef, is saying your food's disgusting. 
there's a dis dissonance at times between how we perceive ourselves and what's going on around us and the data that is actually coming our way. And so when it comes to our spirituality, when it comes to the things that we cannot see in life, it's actually really critical to have data markers along the way to inform us of where we're at and how we're doing so that we don't skew into fantasy like so many people do when they find themselves in it. And the great thing is, is that, that Jesus gives us some real clear, tangible markers, some data points to look at to inform us of what's going on in the invisible. So that when we're asked, hey, how are you doing in your spirituality? How are things going? How are you doing in your faith with me? How are you doing in, in, your, in your relationship, in, in your connection with me? He gives us clear physical indicators to look at. And one of the most clear indicators that he talks about over and over and over again in the scriptures comes from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. And he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Yes, today we're talking all about the money, money, money. <laughs> now, now, before you immediately turn out online or before you hear going, oh, great, why did I just come to this gathering? Let me just say this. <laughs> Give me 30 minutes of your time. Because here's the thing. I used to hate talking about this subject. As a pastor, when I would have a conversation about this subject, I would get so nervous, I would get so anxious, I would study for the entire week, I would run my talks by people, I would ask people to pray for me, anoint me with oil, I would be like, everything possible inside of me, because here's the thing, I understand more than anyone that people with religious authority have abused this topic more than any other topic on the planet. They have used this topic to abuse people, to manipulate people, to extort people, and to engage in a conversation that was, well, in many ways, demonic. And the reputation of the church has suffered greatly because of the way people have had a conversation around this topic. And here's the thing, I have a conversation around that more than most things, around how, well, just the church just wants money, and the church just wants this, and whatever that may be. And here's the thing that I found. There is no other subject other than probably parenting that gets people more offended than money. So there is like a, when you have this conversation. How many of you even felt it inside of you? Like when I was like, hey, we're talking about money today. You're like, Ugh, right? It's okay. Just notice it. I'm okay with it. You're okay with it. Let's just acknowledge it's here. So here's the thing. My intention this morning in no way is to manipulate you or to have a conversation about you giving to Humanity Church. I now actually get really giddy about having this conversation. I, I, like every, I only talk about this like once, maybe twice a year, and I actually am like, ooh, this is the week that we get to have this conversation. It makes sense in this series. I cannot wait to have this conversation because, it, here, let me just tell you this, it is the one conversation that sets people free so fast. I have, never seen a I have never seen a topic that sets people onto a trajectory of freedom more than a conversation about money, and I think it's why Jesus had the conversation so often in the scriptures. 
because there was this direct correlation between how we relate to money and how we engage in freedom around us and how it steps us into this new level of living. And it's both an indicator of where you're at on your spiritual journey. It's like a helpful data point in that, but it is also a gateway to step into a new level of faith and a new level of spirituality and a new level of freedom in your life. And as we've moved forward in this conversation, if you've ever heard me talk about money, you will know that there is one thing that I will say over and over and over and over in the talk, and this is the thing. When we talk about this money, we're never talking about just the money, ever. In fact, when we're having a conversation, it's actually rarely a conversation about just the money. It's a larger conversation about a whole other thing. Because when Jesus talked about money, it was never about the money. It was always about something else that was going on. It was a physical element that gave us a window into where we were at in our own spiritual journey. See, this is why it says, if you want to know where your heart is, right? Like if someone was to ask you, hey, where's your heart today? That would be a very difficult question to ask, right? He says, look, you want some clear data? Just look about where your treasure is. Just look at where you spend your resources. Take a look at where you spend your time. Take a look at where you spend your money. Take a look at where you spend your energy. And that will be some clear data points that will give you a window into where you're at in your spirituality. Because here's the thing, the data doesn't lie. I remember... Two years ago, Marla and I had been through FPU several times, and we had gotten out of debt, and we were finding ourselves like in some level of financial freedom, and yet every month we were clearly overspending, because every month we had to pull money out of our savings to make up for whatever we spent that month, and we had gotten off of a budget. Anyone ever get off of a budget before? You know what I'm talking about. And so we were like, all right, we're, we're getting on a budget. We got some budgeting software. We got our budget together. And, and the budgeting software that we use every dollar, it pulls all of your bank transactions. And every day you just go on and you drag them into the category that they go into. Now, here's the thing. Before we were doing that, people would always ask like, hey, are you guys spending too much money on coffee? And I would say, absolutely not. We don't spend that much money on coffee. What are you talking about, right? I actually think our Starbucks budget is pretty low. It's probably one of the lowest of everything. And then the month went on, and we started dragging things into the coffee budget. I'm like, oh, that, that's crazy. That, how is this happening? Like, right? it, was, it felt like an out-of-body experience, right? And by the end of the month, we had dragged $275 into the coffee budget. And I was like, data. See, because here's the thing. $4 coffee for me, $4 coffee for Marla, four times a week, five times a week, starts adding up. <laughs> and I wasn't looking at the data. I was looking at my heart going, no, 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 I'm not addicted to coffee. It's not a problem. This is not where our money is being drained, right? And then all of a sudden, I look at the data, and it's clearly informing me that I am bowing down at the altar of Starbucks <laughs> in my finances here. The same thing happened when Apple started putting out this thing called Screen Time, and every Sunday, and they put out the report on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., and they would send you a report of how much screen time you spent that week, and then it would tell you how you spent it. And let me tell you, before I got that report, I was like, I don't spend, spend that much time on my phone. It's not, it's not a lot, right? Especially not on social media. 
And then I got the report at 9 a.m. every Sunday, right before I was about to get up here and talk about how we were to follow Jesus with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm like, wow, that is a lot of time invested in TikTok, right? That is a lot of time spent on Facebook posts. I had no idea that that much time and energy and resources we invested in these things because here's the thing, the data doesn't lie. Have you ever argued with the data? How many, look, hopefully I'm not the only person who's ever done this. How many of you have ever gotten on the scale, looked at the number, and your first thought is, oh no, the scale's out of batteries? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Or like, oh no, it's broken. I kid you not, I have have gotten on the scale, looked at the number four, and then I'm like, let me move this, maybe the floor's rickety. Let's move this scale over here. Oh, same number, that's crazy, right? Because we even look at the data, and when the data is in our face, we're like, that cannot be right here and now in this place with with what's in front of us. See, using your treasure as a concrete window to look out into the heart is simultaneously one of the most powerful things you can do and one of the most painful things you can do. It will renew your power. It will renew your strength. It will give you back your power because here's the thing. The data doesn't lie. And how we interact with our resources is a powerful window into our spirit of what's taking place at a heart level. And in the middle of this conversation about money, Jesus is saying, hey, don't don't store up for yourselves your money with things that are going to rust and things that are going to break down and things are going to be stolen. But he says here in this, he, he starts talking about this conversation about the eyes. And when you're listening to this conversation, it feels very out of place. In fact, Jesus almost goes into like, beatnik poetry here in the middle of this conversation about about money. He's like, the eyes are the window, the lamp to the soul. If your heart is full of light. You know, I'm just like, I don't understand this, but I feel like there should be bongos in the background somewhere. But here's the thing. Jesus is clearly not an optometrist. He is not talking about your eyes. He is talking about your eyes. He is talking about the filter that you see the world through. He's asking the question, how have you trained yourself to see the world? How have you trained yourself to view the resource that's in front of you? Because how you see the world determines so much. And like there's this really classic test. In fact, I'm gonna put a graphic up on the screen. When you look at this graphic, what is your very first thought? Because if your very first thought is like, wow, that glass, look at that, I've been given a glass, and I got some water. That's so awesome. The thing is that it's not a coincidence. You've probably trained yourself to see that glass in that way. If you looked at that and say, oh, someone gave me a glass of water and they forgot to fill it up all the way, and it is half empty in some way, shape, or form, it's probably also not a coincidence that you've probably trained yourself in some way, shape, or form to look out at the world and to see what's missing rather than what you have. No problem in that. But how we see the world determines how we view the resource in front of us. How we see out and the, 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 the filter through which we see the world will determine how much we see, what we do with what we have, and how much we miss and where we squander what we have right in front of us. How we see the world determines the resource that we see is available in front of us. And it changes everything because the data doesn't lie. Just a few weeks ago, I got an email and I was invited to come do this consulting job. And when they told me how much they were going to pay me, I was like, oh, that's 
That's a decent amount of money for the consulting job. And so I was like, all right, yes, I will absolutely take that. That's awesome. Thank you. I, I would have done this for free, but if you want to pay me that much, that's great. And so I said, yes. And then they called me back a few weeks later and they said, hey, we would like to double that pay because of how successful this event is going. And I was like, yes, absolutely. You know, in those moments, I try not to freak out. I'm like, I think that should be okay, you know? Uh, but inside, I'm like, oh my God, right? In that moment. And I'm telling Marla, I'm like, honey, pack the bags. We're going to Cancun, right? And, uh, and then they email me back and they say, hey, we've had some expenses that we weren't like counting on. We're gonna have to split the difference between what we originally told you and where we were at. And I instantly was like, are you kidding me? Are, do you know how much I'm worth? Do, do, you, do, do you know how much time I'm going to put in? Do you know how much value I'm going to bring to this opportunity? And here's the crazy thing. That first offer that they had made me was like mind-blowing until they gave me a bigger offer. And now when they wanted to pull that back, all of a sudden I'm like, who are you taking away my money that I'm going to earn here in this moment? And in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, Nathan, there is so much greed to still be discipled out of you because my eyes were seeing the resource in a very skewed way. And it was affecting what I saw available. And it was affecting how I was relating to what was available in that moment because how you see the world determines how you see the resource in front of you. And this is what Jesus said. He says, look, if your eyes are healthy your whole life will be healthy. He, he says, look, if you are looking out at the world with generosity and abundance and trust, meaning you, you don't, he, he says, look, you're, when you look out at your resource, you're gonna see generosity and you're gonna see abundance and trust. But it's not just that. He, he's like, look, it's not that just you will see money through that lens. He said, you will start seeing everything through that lens of generosity and abundance and trust. You will start looking at your relationships and say, wow, there's so much available here. There's so much trust that's available to be built. There's so much hope and life that's available here in these relationships. There's so much ability to change. There's so much future because you have trained your eyes to see the world in that way. And so your whole body will be healthy. Likewise, he says, look, if your eyes are unhealthy, if they're informed by scarcity and bitterness and resentment for what you don't have or never got in life, your whole body will be unhealthy, filled with darkness, meaning you will be blinded to the resource that is actually right in front of you. Meaning you won't just look at money through the lens of scarcity, but you will start looking at your relationships through the lens of scarcity. You will start looking at your future through the lens of scarcity. You will start looking at your ability to change through the lens of scarcity. You will start looking at everything through this lens and it will shape everything because it is never just about the money. And this is why Jesus informs us about this. It's how you have discipled yourself to see the world. Because when you see money through a lens of abundance, everything will be abundance. When you see, scarcity, when you see money through the lens of scarcity, everything around you will be scarce. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. He says, the health of our spiritual filters will determine what you put your trust in. It will determine that. Because if I look out at the world and I see there's so much available and there's so much that God has provided and he will continue to provide and he will continue to give and he will continue to pour out, there is a freedom of trust that lives in that. 
If I look out at the world and I look at it through the lens of, man, there is not enough and I've never had and you don't know my upbringing and you don't know how hard I've had it and life is so difficult and I don't have what everyone else has, I guarantee you that it's going to be very difficult to not only put your trust in God, but it's going to be very difficult to put your trust in anyone else. And he's saying, look, how you see the world will also determine who you put your trust in. And what you put your trust in determines the level of freedom that you live in. Sound familiar? And this is why it is never just about the money. This really is a trust conversation. See, in Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5, there's this passage on trust that so many people are familiar with. You don't even have to be a part of the church to know this conversation, but it says this, trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. People love this verse. Anyone heard this verse before? People love it. They put it on Bible books. They're like, they put it on posters. They put it on memes. People make it their life verse. They're like, yeah, sign me up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. How many of you are like, yeah, I'd love some straight paths in my life, right? I would love to just be able to be like, yep, got a clear pathway down the middle. Go, know where I'm going. Know where I'm headed. No, there's not a lot of bumps in the road. My path is straight because I'm trusting in the Lord. And I can't tell you how many people listen to this verse and they're like, sign me up, baby. That sounds like a great future for me and then they stop reading right there because you know what the very next verse says honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all of your crops and your barns will be overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine see because Jesus says look I don't care if you say you trust me with your mouth I really only care if you trust me with action and deed and heart I really, you can say all day that you trust me. It will not actually transform anything in your life. And what I'm interested in is a transformed life. And so when he says, look, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. So everyone's like, sign me up. And then he's like, great, honor me with your wealth. And we're like, no, right? <laughs> and then all the buts come in there. <laughs> but you don't understand, but you don't know, but in the middle of this, but he says, look, let's just test and see. Let's just test and see if you trust me. Be generous with your resources. Will you trust me with your money? Or is this just lip service? See, because what we do with our money is such a powerful indicator of who or what we trust. Because as human beings, let me just give you some insight into your own psychology, that we oftentimes look for the easiest, the fastest, and the most secure way to stay safe in life. Because we as human beings are addicted to safety. We are addicted to staying safe. We are addicted to making sure we are protected. We are, we are addicted to making sure that life doesn't get too unpredictable. We are addicted to making sure that life is in our control. We are addicted to safety. Physical safety, emotional safety, spiritual safety, mental safety, financial safety. And here's the thing. Money can often be the quickest, fastest, and easiest way to the illusion of safety in our lives. And there's two ways that money creates this illusion of safety and then removes this concept of trust from us right out from underneath us. See, one way is that we can look at our bank account and we can look at that number and we start looking at what we can survive based on the number in our bank account. Yeah. 
right? Like, okay, good. I can survive the next three months and I can survive a pandemic and then I can survive this and, and I have enough money to protect me for the next 10 years and, and now I can just go, I'm safe. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Look, I'm, I'm, I actually am the person who would say, look, have a savings account. Make sure that you have enough money to live on for the next like three to six months. I'll like work towards that. that. That's not a problem. The problem is that when we start working for the safety rather than having the safety work for us. When our life becomes all about how safe can I make my life. But more often, here is how this idea of safety shows up in the conversation of resources, that we want to make sure that we are able to afford all of the little luxuries and the distractions that pacify us while we ignore what's going on at a heart level. And so when things get stressful and when things get traumatic or when things get difficult or when I don't want to address what's going on in my own spiritual, mental, emotional health, at least I have enough money to buy fill in the blank to make me happy for a moment. Whether it's the, hey, I, can, I, can, I just need to get on another, another vacation. If I can just get on the next vacation, then I'll be able to survive this and we'll be able to make it through this. If I can just buy the next car, that'll be okay. And then I'll feel good and then I'll be looking good. Or if I can just get the next gadget, that'll be okay. If you're broke, it sounds like if I could just go for a next Target run, if I could just go have more coffee, if I could just have more food, then at least I'll feel good and I'll feel safe and I can pacify myself temporarily from what's going on at a heart level, and we wanna make sure that we have enough money to afford all those little luxuries so that we stay pacified. And here's the thing, the longer that you live in that space of just pacifying what's going on at a heart level rather than trusting in the Lord with all your heart, the more you'll find yourself entitled to the things that pacify you. And it no, it no longer becomes, hey, I'm just gonna go get the coffee, or I'm just going to go have the drink, or I'm just going to go do the next Starbucks run, or I'm just going to go do this because I'm really feeling stressed here in the moment. But now it becomes, this is my hard-earned cash, and don't you dare tell me what to do or not do with it. No one gets to inform me of how I do this. Because here's the thing, it creates such a deep level of scarcity and insecurity inside of us that the voice says, if I run out of money, then I'm going to run out of peace. If I run out of money, then I don't know what I'm going to do with the anxiety. If I run out of money, I don't know what I'm going to do with all of the past trauma that I haven't dealt with. If I run out of the money, I don't know how I'm going to deal with all of the things that are in front of me that God's calling me into that I'm so horrified of. And so we double down. And then we find ourselves enslaved to all of the little luxuries that pacify us. See, this is why it is never just about the money. See, here's the thing. Jesus is not really ever inviting you into a new financial plan. He's actually inviting you into a trust makeover. That's essentially what he's doing. When G- this is why Jesus has a money conversation so often, because he is not like a Primerica salesman, right? He, he, he is like, hey, it's not just about the money. I'm actually attempting to transform your relationship to trust, so that you can then be set free here in this space because he says, look, right now you're putting your trust in things that are eventually going to break. Right now you're putting your trust in things that are eventually going to rust or they're gonna be stolen or they're going to be gone and all of this is temporary and it's a pretty lame investment of your resources. 
Of all the things that you could put your money in and your trust in, these things are going to leave you wanting every single time. And he says, trust in me with all of your heart. See, once again, this is an all or nothing proposition. Do you, see, do you catch the trend in this series? Jesus is not like, hey, yeah, just, just give me, you know, just tip me off, right? He's saying, trust in me with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will make your path straight. And so he's saying, look, if you are wanting to trust me, be generous with the things that I have given you. Give it away. Be generous with every single resource, your time, your energy, your money. Choose to give, choose to hold with an open hand, choose to secure futures for others. And then he says, and in that process, I will secure your future. I will make your path straight, I promise. In fact, he goes beyond that and he says, look, you will be overflowing. He says, you will be brimming over, his words, not mine. In this, and before you think, oh no, Nathan's getting into a prosperity gospel, something about, hey, if you give, God's gonna overflow you even more. If you give $10, he's gonna give you 100. If you give 1,000, he's gonna give you 10,000. That's not this conversation, because here's the thing. When you trust in the Lord with all your heart and choose to be generous, he usually will not give you the mansion, the car, the bank account. What he gives you is spiritual Lasix. He transforms your eyes. And suddenly there is a spiritual sight that he gives you when you're willing to be generous with the things that you have. Because what he does in that moment when you start to give rather than live into scarcity, when you start to live from a place of generating rather than consuming in those places, what he does is he says, I'm going to change your eyes. I'm going to remove all of the filters that have told you your entire life up till now that you don't have enough. I'm going to remove all of the filters up until now that told you you were given the short end of the stick. I'm going to remove all of the filters up until now that have informed you that you will never have as much as them or you'll never be able to get ahead here or you're just bad with money or you're never going to be able to do X, Y, Z because of your bank account. He removes all of those filters and he inserts a filter that suddenly sees everything as a gift, as a generous gift. And nothing is yours. And everything has been given to you, so there's a freedom to give it away. See, when you are generous with your resources, the miracle isn't that God gives you 10 times more. The miracle is that you actually become grateful for what God has given you. And from that space of gratitude, you have this vantage point that says, look, there's always enough. There's always enough. Look, I can tell you that Marla and I have been in seasons of lack, extreme lack, and we have been in seasons of wealth. And I can tell you that we have had different filters in both moments. There have been times where we've had lots of money and we've thought, man, there's not enough. And there's times we've had nothing and we're like, we're on top of the world. It has nothing to do with our bank account. It has everything to do with how we see the world and where we are putting our trust in the middle of that. See, when you are willing to be generous with your resource, it actually frees you from the chokehold of greed and frees you into generosity. Now, here's the beautiful thing about even that word generosity. It comes from the same root word as nobility, genos, that generosity and nobility are actually connected together in the vernacular because that recognize that the second that you become generous, you become noble. The second that you decide, I have enough and I'm gonna give it away, 
Your life transforms from poverty into nobility because a king looks at what they have and says, I have more than enough and I'm willing to give it away. You move from consumer to producer in your life and it transforms everything around you. And let me just tell you, this is why it is never just about the money and this is why this conversation is so critical because this is a spiritual mindset move that statistically... 80% of people will never, ever make in their lifetime. I'm just telling you that in this room, between everyone sitting here and everyone watching online, only about 40 of you will make this change. Only about 40 of you, statistically, will step into a life filled with abundance. The rest of the 80% will not be able to make this leap will be unwilling to make this leap and be stuck in a life of scarcity and bitterness and resentment until you go to your grave. And this is why Jesus talks about this so much because it is never just about the money. And here's the thing. God calls us to be generous, not because he needs your money. That's like a very weird concept when you think about it, right? Like, God's like, oh, man, you know, I'm, I'm doing, doing a little hard this month. Pandemic's done me a little rough. Could I borrow a few, right? See, God does not need you to give him your money. He calls you to be generous because it will assure that we are no longer enslaved to greed or distrust. He's like, look, I, I need you to give, not for my sake, for your sake, Because naturally you will be enslaved by greed and distrust. And he calls you into giving so that you are not ever held captive by a dollar. So that the number on your bank account never determines the expanse of your imagination or what you see possible to expand your life to. See, that's one of the greatest tragedies that I watch people step into is that when God says, hey, what I have in front of you is more than you could ever ask or imagine and our response to God is, yeah, God, the only thing that you can afford is a $300 miracle because that's what I have in the bank and I'm not even sure it's gonna be there next week. So let's lower what's possible based on what Chase Bank tells me I have. And this is where we find ourselves so many times so that the other areas of your life will be seen from a less abundant standpoint, God, when God calls you into this, and so that you can be disciplined, not into becoming wealthy, but, becoming, but to stepping into the greatness that God has made you to be for the world. See, the reality is, is that if you can't lay down your Starbucks money, it's going to be very hard to lay down your arrogance. The reality is if that you can't get your spending under control, it's gonna be very difficult to get the darkness under control within you. And this is why the resource and how we engage it becomes a great window into what's happening spiritually in us. And why Jesus constantly says that generosity is the pathway to freedom. But that type of living, this type of living that I and sharing with you that Jesus invites us into requires this one word that we hate, discipline. It requires discipleship. Because look, all of this sounds amazing until it doesn't, right? Or I should probably say all of this sounds amazing until it doesn't feel amazing. And the second we find ourselves in a place where it doesn't feel right, 
or where we've messed up, it's easy to run right back to the safety of money and be like, oh, I'm back in my little cave. I'm back protected. I'm back in a place that is safe and secure and I can preserve what little I have. And don't be fooled. This conversation has little to do with how much money you have. I know that there's this fantasy that so many people have, including me at times, that says, you look, look, when I have more money, I will be way more generous. How many of you ever, let's just be honest, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have that thought, right? Like when I get my raise, God, watch out, I'm gonna give, right? <laughs> when I win the lottery, I'm gonna be so generous to people. <laughs> And there is this fantasy that thinks this actually has to do with how much money you have. See, I've actually found that the more wealthy people get, the more they have to lose. And whatever mindset they brought into their wealth is the mindset that they carry into their wealth. And and I have known people who are incredibly wealthy that live in extreme scarcity. And I've known people who are incredibly wealthy who are the most generous people I've met. I've known people who... Make, more, make little money than, than I could ever imagine, and they're the most generous human beings on the planet. And I've met people who have made very little, and they live in incredible scarcity. I've met poor who have become wealthy, and they find themselves in the exact same financial spot when they were making $10,000 a year. Because it's never just about the money. We carry our heart with us into whatever context we find ourselves in. I'll never remember, I will never forget one Sunday in particular where we had a very wealthy person no longer attends our church. This was probably 20 years ago. And they came to me and they, they said, Pastor, I'm going to make a very generous offering. And I want you to make sure that you get it this week. I'm like, oh, okay. And they, were, they, they emailed me and called me and were like, Pastor, I'm making a very generous donation this week. I want to make sure that you get it. I'm like, okay, got it. I'm like, I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be amazing, right? <laughs> And then the same Sunday, I had this single mom who I knew was struggling, and I knew we oftentimes would buy her groceries during the week and make sure that she was fed and make sure that she was taken care of. That same Sunday came up to me and handed me a check, and she said, I don't know how I'm going to do this this month, but I know God's going to provide because he always had. And would you, just, would you just pray for me that my faith would stay strong in my generosity? And I prayed for her, and I looked at the check, and it was $335 for that month. I thought, man, I, I knew what that looked like. She, she, I, don't, I don't ever look at people's giving. She just handed it to me. That next week, I got the phone call from, this, from uh, this wealthy person who was in our church, and they were hounding me on the phone. Did you get the check? Did you get the check? Did you get the No, I haven't gotten the check. It came in the mail a few days later. I got the check. I opened it up, and it was $50. And I thought... God bless them. There was not like a, oh man, they should have given more. But I just thought, man, this, this is what happens when we see the world through tainted eyes. You can be sitting on a pile of money and still find yourself being unwilling to give bountifully. And you can have nothing and be the most generous person in the room. And this is the beautiful thing, is that Jesus says it's never just about the money. It's about the attitude of heart that we live in. See, because one was chasing safety, and I can tell you the other was playing to win in that space. The power and the beauty of your life will be wasted chasing safety. It will be wasted chasing security. You were not made for that. You were made for eternity, and you were made 
with something very special that a power that only human beings have. And that is the ability to translate the temporary into the eternal. That's what we do as human beings. That's the gift that God gives us. We are translators. One of the things my dad always said that I always thought was stupid growing up, and now I understand, he said, he said you never see a hearst pulling a U-Haul. He said, I've done a lot of funerals. And he said, you, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul to the graveside. <laughs> here's all the toys that I've bought. And here's all the money that I've, well, here's all the things that I've done in the middle of this. And here's the thing. Everything that I invest in in this life is temporary. It is here and gone. And this is why Jesus is like, don't store up for yourselves things that are temporary. Make sure that you have enough to like get by and to be generous, but don't store up, don't become a hoarder of things that are basically going to be destroyed that are temporary. And here's the thing, it is super easy to translate the temporary to the temporary. That's essentially taking your paycheck, temporary, and buying stuff, temporary. That's like base level. Anyone can do that. Anyone can transfer temporary into temporary. Every time that you choose generosity though, anytime that you choose to to sow into God's movement around you, you know what you actually do? You perform spiritual alchemy. That's what you do. Because you actually transform the temporary into the eternal. You take something that was gonna be destroyed or taken away or be gone in just a moment and you transform it into something that will last forever. You take a dollar and transform it into supporting a marriage that will now create a new legacy for a family history. You take a buck and you translate it into a child next door connecting into the love of Jesus and for just two hours a week have people speaking into their lives truth and hope and goodness in them. A check is translated into a space where people are free from anxiety on Sundays and all throughout the week and with every phone call that's made with them, you become a spiritual alchemist. And this is what you were designed for. That once what would last for a moment that would be destroyed with rust and moth and theft now is translated into eternity, a much greater investment and a much higher calling. And it informs you as you are doing that, as you are performing this spiritual alchemy, it simultaneously informs you that you are now free from greed. And so when someone asks you, how are you doing? You can actually point to the data and say, the data doesn't lie. I am free. And I do not lack anything. And there's some power in that. I'll never forget my first trip to Ukraine and I was speaking in a stadium that had about 20,000 people in it. And there was a time where they were going to be giving an offering that was gonna be going to another country. Not, none of the money was gonna be, they were just like literally giving all the money away to these various global projects. And, and the people in the stadium were, like many of them were living in just abject poverty. And people started giving here and there and they started giving of their resources and they started you know, coming forward with what they had. And there was this moment where the spirit of God just consumed the space. I can't explain it. There's only been like a few times I've ever experienced that in my life. And it just, it just consumed the arena. And people started, people started coming forward and just Literally, like, what is in my pocket? What is on my hands? What's on my neck that I can lay down on this stage? I, there were women coming up, laying down their wedding rings, and people who were like, here's my iPhone. Some people were like, I have a camera that I brought here. Take the camera, sell it on eBay. And, and everything inside of me was like, no, this is wrong. Please stop these people. 
And I actually was watching, and I, there was a little old lady, like a little babushka, as they say in, in Ukraine, and she comes up and she puts a, a ring down in front of this offering space that literally is not going to go to the church, it's going to go outside. And I, I went to her and I had a translator and I said, hey, why, why did you just give your ring? And she said, I don't know what's going to happen with this ring in 10 years. I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years. She said, but I know that that is going to go transform someone's heart. I know that that's going to transform someone's mind. And that moment, I just thought, who am I to take that gift away from her? To think less or to call her into a level of safety or security that I think she should live in. And there was such a powerful movement. And this group of probably 20,000 people in the stadium who lived in abject poverty raved that day $700,000. And I was shocked at the generosity of what happens when there was a shift in perspective with that group. So I want to get really practical as we wrap up here with this conversation, knowing that this is never just about the money. See, in in Malachi, when the prophets are talking about us giving a tithe, the 10% of our income to what God's doing around us, one of the things that he says is this. He says, test and see me in this process. Now, normally I would uh, say it's not a, good te- not, a good, not a good idea to test God, right? I would be like, don't test God. But this is real practical here because God says, God says, test me and see if I do not come through on this. So this is like one of the only places where it's okay to test God in here because here's the thing. God knows how insecure you are with money. He knows. He knows how insecure we get when he's like, would you trust me? with your safety net. And and in that, so he says, test me first. You don't have to like commit, don't commit, just test. Test and see. And see if I am not faithful in this. So here's what I often tell people. Like if you're giving nothing, here's what I'm gonna gonna call you into, a three-month challenge. A three-month test and see. A three-month test and see that if you don't engage God with your resources, your time, your energy to see if God does not come through in the middle of this. See, what God really wants to see is, are you a river or a lake? Because he wants to see, if I pour out into you, is it just going to sit there in a giant hole? Or if I pour out to you, is it going to flow to your neighborhoods, to the people around you? Is it going to flow out into eternity? And so this is why God's like, just look, just test, test me and see. Test me and see if it works. And see if I am not faithful because he knows how insecure we are. When it comes to our generosity, again, this is an all or nothing proposition. And so when we come to give, this can't be a, hey, let's wait to see what's left in our bank account and then we'll go from there. Because again, it's not just about the money. It's a, it's a look, let's start and Let's get committed to what we're going to give, what I'm going to give, and then let's organize our entire life around our generosity rather than the other way around. See, oftentimes what we do is we're like, hey, I'm going to pay this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to buy all the things I want, I'm going to make sure my life's comfy, and then whatever's left over, I'll give that to God, maybe, or a part of that. God's like, no, 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 I don't want you to reorganize I don't want you to organize all of your, your generosity around your luxuries. I want you to reorganize your luxuries around your giving. And so he says, let's make this the first thing that we do. 
Because this is not actually God interested in you tipping him. Hey, I have 5% left, here you go. This is a starting proposition and then stepping into that. This is why we always talk about regular reoccurring giving at Humanity Church, because it's just easier. Look, Marla and I, we do regular reoccurring giving and we're just like, look, it's out of our bank accounts, done. We don't, we, it's like, it's not even a thought. We're like, it's the first thing that happens on the first and the 15th of every month. And so you can know what you love by just taking a look at your bank account. I encourage you this week to do that, take the challenge. Like I said earlier, it will be both powerful and painful in that process. Here's the thing. You can see where your heart is based on where your treasure is, but you can also change where your heart is based on where you start investing your treasure. So the principle works both ways, which is powerful in this. And the last thing is this. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's the thing. Decide what you're going to give, and then get super excited about it, right? God's not interested in you being like, here we go, giving our money, right? Hard-earned money. I could have bought a boat with this, right? He's like, no, decide, and then get super excited because you can start telling yourself, look, this is a declaration that I am no longer enslaved to greed. This is a declaration that I am no longer trusting in things that are temporary and I choose to fully step into the alchemist that I was designed to be, translating the temporary into the eternal and seeing things shift around me. So as you give, get excited. This is why at Humanity Church, when it's like, it's time to give, we cheer, we throw a party, we're excited because it is a declaration where a community of people are saying, I am in, and it says that God loves that. And here's the thing, the other thing with this is that if you're in a space where this conversation feels so despairing right now because of where you're at in your finances, I want you to come to next step afterwards and say, I need some help or write on a card, say, hey, could someone help me with my finances? We have people who are dedicated just to helping people get financially free. And look, some of you are like, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get man to man, woman to woman right now. Let your pride go. If you're like, nah, I, you know, I got it. Nah, I'm not gonna, it's not a big deal. Let your pride go and say, hey, I need some help. And there are people that can help you get back into freedom with that. Here's the thing, I believe we're doing an amazing work here at Humanity Church. And look, it takes resources to do what we do here. It would be nice if all this was free. <laughs> and there's a different level of all inness in the movement of Jesus when you can actually look at data points and saying, I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm all in with my finances, with my heart, with my mind, with my soul. And I'm just gonna make this blanket statement. If you're in a place where you're skeptical of the church and you cannot trust us yet, give somewhere, give somewhere. I care more about you being free from greed than you giving to this church. So give somewhere. So if you're already like, hey, I don't don't wanna give to the church, the church is greedy, the church does this, great, give somewhere. And then hopefully we can prove that what God's doing here is really important. Give somewhere. And I'll just let you know this too. Marla and I give way above 10% of our income. So I will never ask you to do something that we won't do first, that we will not ask you to do step into. There is nothing more powerful than a community on mission 
who doesn't say they're on mission with their words, but says they're on mission with their actions and says they're on missions with their resources, with their time, their energy, their money. Because in that moment, what it informs us of is that there's been a transformation of what we see because we've interacted with the God of abundance. And when it changes what we see, it changes who we trust. And when we change who we trust, we are those who become translators into the eternal. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you were so bold in your conversation around money and resources. Jesus, I, I thank you that you were like, yep, nope, these people will not be held captive by greed and stuff and a paycheck and that the possibility of their futures will not be determined by a bank account. Nope. God, would you teach us to fully step into that with power and purpose and passion? God, I pray for those here listening live or online. There's a couple of prayers that I have. God, one is that you would remove any insecurity right now. For those who are nervous or anxious or this topic brings up anxiety because of failure and lack and hopelessness, God, I pray that you would quiet all of that right now. And as we talked about last week, that you would teach them the language of truth. God, that you would show them the ways forward in this conversation. For those in the room who are skeptical, God, and who have been hurt by churches, who have taken advantage or manipulated or used this conversation around money to buy expensive cars and big buildings, and God, I just ask that you would grant forgiveness and that there would be an opportunity to go again. God, but most of all, above everything, I thank you for how generous you are with us. God, that we, that we standing in this room are in the 1% of the world and that you have given so much to us. God, I pray that this community would not just be the 20%, but that there would be 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 90% in here who would be willing to make the shift, to be willing to see the world through generous eyes and know the abundance that they have been gifted. Jesus, we stand before you grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.